You're listening to Nonprofit Confidential, episode number 10. Hey there, welcome back to Nonprofit Confidential. I'm your host, Sheila Nimishakavi, and we have such a fun episode for you today. I am answering all of your listener questions. So, I asked my email subscribers to send me some questions that they are grappling with and chose a handful to share with you on the podcast. There's no theme or topic we're focusing on. It's really just those burning questions that keep my listeners up at night. This is a really good one, so let's dive right in to question number one. How can I get my board comfortable with fundraising? Ooh, this is a tough one. I hear from so many nonprofit leaders that their number one struggle is engaging the board, and more specifically, engaging the board in fundraising. Even very established organizations that have stellar fundraising programs struggle with this. So first, I recommend that you check your board bylaws and recruiting material. It should be crystal clear in the board documents that there is a fundraising expectation, and it should be really clear what that expectation is. For instance, does your board have a give or get requirement of $1,000? So each board member either needs to give $1,000 or raise $1,000 or be a soft credit. So somehow be a referral where a sponsorship of $1,000 comes in, for instance. The worst situation to be in is one where expectations are way off. That's so frustrating for all parties involved. So if you don't currently have a board fundraising requirement of some sort, the next thing I recommend you do is to propose an amendment to the bylaws to include a board fundraising requirement. If the majority of your board currently fundraises anyway, this really shouldn't be a huge issue to pass. But if the majority of your board has been against fundraising, then this will likely take some work. I would suggest starting out with a really attainable goal. So something like $100 or $250. That way, even if your board really doesn't want to ask someone else for the money, they can set up a recurring gift of $20 per month and still meet the fundraising requirement. Along with that, I recommend getting some board training around fundraising. The first part of this is that fundraising is part of the fiduciary responsibility of the board. Let's say you, the executive director, ups and leaves your organization and there's no one else to keep the nonprofit operating, It would fall to your board of directors to figure out a solution. So a board that can fundraise can weather these types of storms. Next would be practical training. Do some very basic role play with your board members who are struggling to ask for money. Offer a script and let them play it out with you or with other board members. Then take them on a donor meeting so that they see that script play out in real life. Lastly, this is one challenge I love to implement with new fundraisers or those who had fundraising kind of fall into their lap. And you can modify it for whatever works for you and however you like. But I do, you know, a five day challenge and each day of the week, your board member has to ask for a gift that's progressively harder. 
So for instance, on day one, they need to review that script with you. So they're going to ask you for $5. The next day, let's say, you know, they're married or they have a partner at home. So they would then go to their partner and use that same script to ask for a gift to your nonprofit organization. So this could you know, be their spouse or partner, sibling or mom, just someone they're really comfortable with. Third, they would ask a friend, so not someone that's a really close friend, that's like family, but someone they see regularly. And then the fourth day, they would ask a coworker for a gift. And on the last day, they would need to ask for funding from an acquaintance. So reach out to someone they know, but not very well and may not see that often. You know, they may not have a very good rapport with. And on a bonus day, it would be to ask a complete stranger for a gift. So this allows your board members to progressively get used to the idea of utilizing the script that you provide them. And it also gets them comfortable hearing no and moving on anyway. Okay, on to question number two. My organization is fortunate to have a very long staff tenure, but because of that, it's hard to push past the, but we have always done it this way sentiment. How can I introduce new ideas into my organization so that we keep up with the current pace of change? Ooh, okay. So on the one hand, you want to push your organization along. This is such an exciting time for nonprofits. On the other hand, you don't want to push out your longtime staff who've built this organization and made it what it is today. So as a consultant, I come across this issue frequently. Typically, the reason I'm brought in is to implement some sort of a change, right? So whether that's a new database, a new fundraising plan. So the first thing that I need to do is first and foremost, pay my respect to what the staff has done. Moving forward and creating change absolutely does not mean that what you were doing was not what you needed to be doing at that time. So let's say, you know, if I come in with my shiny new database, the first thing I need to do is not, you know, poo-poo on an organization's Excel spreadsheets. When, you know, they created those spreadsheets, it was needed and it was the best option at that time. The staff should get immense credit for finding these solutions and implementing them and making them work for so long. So in your case, first you want to credit the staff for all they've done to bring the organization the success you've experienced so far and the impact that you've had thus far. Second, you want to clearly illustrate your why. Change for the sake of change is rarely motivational, right? You don't need a new way of doing things if the current method is working perfectly fine. But chances are things are not working perfectly fine if you're itching for a change. So you want to elaborate on that aspect, but you want to do it in a way that makes change exciting. Again, let's look at the database example. Perhaps entering data into Excel makes it difficult to segment your contacts into buckets. So one of the draws of a database might be that you can easily tag contacts to indicate they belong into various groups. It's almost as if you're saying, yes, this works, but wouldn't it be great if we could fill in the blank? Lastly, as much as possible, talk to your staff one-on-one as you're thinking about the changes you want to implement. 
talk to them not only to understand where their hesitation lies, but also to get their advice. Your staff have valuable input, as you know, as to how the changes you suggest will work out and weave throughout the organization. So their hesitation may not just be related to change in general. Some of it likely is, but it may not be the whole reason. They likely have valid reasons, and the more you can talk to them and work with them to work through these concerns together, the more buy-in you'll have from your staff. I hope that was helpful. I know navigating change is incredibly stressful, but it is possible. Okay, on to question number three. We are a small operation that is heavily reliant on volunteers. How will we know it's time to hire more staff than just me? I'm the executive director. I'm unfortunately going to give you a really annoying answer to this question, and that is, it depends. It depends on whether being majority volunteer run is working for you or not. There's no magic threshold at which point you can say, okay, we've hit X dollars in our budget, now it's time to hire staff. Of course, budget is going to be a huge part of this decision. Do you have enough money in the budget for another person? Further, do you have enough cash in the bank that you can support both both your position and your new hire for, let's say, the next six months? You definitely don't want to take on an employee only to realize a few months in that you won't have enough funding to pay for their position. If they're working for you, they're dependent on this income, so that definitely needs to be taken into consideration. Alternatively, you can tell them straight up, we only have enough funding for six months, so this is a temporary position. And I personally think that's fair as long as they know going into this position that it's temporary. Now, let's say you don't currently have the funding, but you'd like to convince your board to approve saving the funds in order to hire someone in the next fiscal year. Is it time for that? Okay, so taking money out of the equation, what you really want to be asking yourself is a comparison of the pros and cons of volunteers running the day-to-day operations of your organization. Are your volunteers regular volunteers, meaning they come in at a scheduled time? Are they highly skilled, so their level of work is what you would expect from an employee? If the answer to these two are no, then you do need to think about hiring staff. If the answers are yes, then maybe you can hold off on hiring staff. If you have regular volunteers coming in, you know, regular business hours, nine to five, and they're highly skilled workers, Maybe hiring staff can be something that you save up for in the long run. In other words, you can be majority volunteer run for as long as it works for you and your organization. All right, question number four. My board tells us to just write grants as if it's one, easy, and two, low-hanging fruit. How can I get them to understand grants won't solve all of our fundraising issues? Ah, yes, this is a classic one. Many nonprofit leaders and fundraisers deal with this very frustration. I often hear nonprofit leaders say their board members seem to think that there are foundations out there just waiting for you to come by so they can give you their money. Those of us working in the field, of course, we know that's absolutely not the case. So what I have found that has worked for me is to ask for advice from my board members. Here's what I mean. 
I would suggest doing research into what grant opportunities are out there for your organization. Narrow down the search, really do your due diligence, and then put together a document that indicates what you would need to do in order to apply for these grants. So that would mean reaching out to program staff, the, the program managers, re- researching the grant, um, you know, figuring out what program's a good fit, getting the budget set up, all of that. And put together a grant calendar with the various deadlines. Next, ask your board members for one-on-ones. So grab lunch with them, grab coffee, and share this information with them. But not in a I told you so way, thinking that, you know, of course, this isn't going to work. Look at everything that has to get done. But more of saying, I know you want to see at grants. And here are some of the grants that I found. Where I'm struggling with is figuring out how I can block out time to do the work. I'll likely have to drop one of my current responsibilities, but I'm worried that's not the best solution. Do you have any advice for me? So this changes the conversation from simply dismissing what your board member has to say and thinking they just don't know to including them in the process in a productive way. Also, your board members likely aren't looking over your shoulder to know all of the very important things you do on a daily basis. So maybe your board really thought you had chunks of time to dedicate to grants. So we don't really know, but by sharing information with your board and openly chatting one-on-one, you can both come to an understanding. All right, number five. I know that transparency is very important, but what exactly do donors want to know? Essentially, donors want to know that you are a trustworthy organization that is utilizing donations in a matter consistent with what you say you will and in such a way to create a real impact. Now that last part of the answer has a real impact is where the muddy part lies, but demonstrating impact for your donors doesn't need to be overly complicated. So the idea isn't to you know pull out your detailed financials with each donor, Rather, you want to share information about how many people you've served this year, and since donors may give to a particular program, indicate how many people were served through that particular program. Most importantly, weave this information in with a story and some participant quotes to really drive home the importance of your program. For instance, let's say you have a literacy program, so something as simple as, we served 2,000 children this year. Mary is one of the young people who participated in our Young Readers program. She was struggling to keep up with her class and was often too shy to participate. After completing our 30-day Young Readers program, she was excited to say, I now have the confidence to read in front of my class and I enjoy getting new books. So the data itself can be very simple. Whatever you're tracking will work to start out with. Eventually, you'll want, you'll want to provide outcome data, so something like Mary's reading score was a 1 and now it's a 10. At the end of the day, nonprofits are a vehicle for donors to have the impact on the world that they desire. So when people call for transparency and donor communication, donors just want to know that they're having the impact that they desire through your nonprofit. In terms of transparency, Placing public information in an easy-to-find location on your website or your GuideStar profile is a great way to share this information with your community. 
In fact, GuideStar has um, different transparency levels like gold, silver, and bronze based on how much information you've included in your profile. So that's a really great place to get started. All right, number six. I'm the leader of a very small nonprofit that can't afford to offer our staff benefits such as health insurance and retirement benefits. How can I prevent key staff from leaving us to go to more established nonprofits that can offer such benefits? Okay, so I need to come back at this with a question. Is providing standard benefits such as health, dental, and retirement, is providing these benefits something that your organization values and has a plan for? I ask because if there's not a plan, then it's not really a priority. And frankly, our sector needs to do a much better job of treating our employees properly. So for the sake of this answer, I'm going to say that yes, providing standard benefits is a priority for your organization. And you have, let's say, a two-year plan to begin to provide these benefits to your employees. In the meantime, let's get creative with benefits. So you can offer more paid time off. You can offer flexible schedules, work from home days. You can offer a very small match, say, on a retirement account. You can offer gym memberships. This one is kind of random, but you can even offer your employees healthy meals at the office. That way your staff aren't spending money on food each day. That all adds up. My personal favorite is to increase the staff development budget so that staff can focus on professional development. And I like that one because it's a win-win for your staff and for your organization. So another option would be, you know, until your organization can provide health insurance and other such benefits, um, you can align your benefits with what you hope to provide in the future. So, okay, let's say you can't afford health insurance plans quite yet. So perhaps the combination of a gym membership and healthy food at the office would be a more affordable benefit. And this way, you show your employees that you value their health, and although health insurance won't be available for another two years, in the meantime, we want you to stay healthy. So the benefits you offer can give your staff and your employees the message of what it is that you're valuing. So more than anything, before you can provide such benefits, you know your employees want to know that you value them. So providing the benefits that you can afford is a great way to show that. Again, though, providing health insurance and other benefits that you would like really needs to be a priority and a plan needs to be made. So these kind of stopgap measures don't take the place of that. It's more so to get creative in the interim. All right, on to number seven. Our organization has not gained much traction with Giving Tuesday, and our executive director is insistent that we do this every year. What are your thoughts on Giving Tuesday? While we think of Giving Tuesday as a one-day fundraiser, it really takes a lot of planning and effort in the months leading up to it for the day to be successful. The nonprofits that make a lot of money on this day truly start planning shortly after Giving Tuesday the previous year. Let's be realistic. The day of, you can't just post on Facebook, hey, we're participating in Giving Tuesday and hope to score thousands of donations. So if your executive director is insistent on participating in Giving Tuesday, proper resources and planning need to be allocated towards this event. That looks like possibly finding a corporate match, creating graphics, collecting participant stories, creating compelling social media posts and emails to build a pipe leading up to the day. 
there's a lot that goes into a successful Giving Tuesday. That being said, there are a lot of questions to ask when making this, this decision. For instance, where are your donations coming from right now? Are your donors even giving to you online? Is your goal to use Giving Tuesday as a mechanism to get new donors to your organization? The nonprofits that I've seen shine on Giving Tuesday have a very clear objective for the day and their technique mirrors that. As an example, if you're using Giving Tuesday to attract new donors to your organization, posting on your page likely won't get you there. You may need to run some ads to find new followers that can become potential donors. So my answer to you is to go back to your executive director to get some clarity on the one goal you have for Giving Tuesday this year. And it really should be one goal. All of us want to get new donors and have our current donors increase their gift and find a match while we're at it. But a good strategy starts with one priority. Ask your executive director to narrow it down to one goal and create your content to meet that goal and then analyze it after this year's event. And hey, maybe during this conversation, your executive director will say, you know what? We're not a good fit for Giving Tuesday. Our donors pay by check and in person at events. Let's just focus on these methods for now. And that's totally fine. There's a lot of hype around Giving Tuesday. And, you know, it can be discouraging to participate and not get many donations. And frankly, you won't you won't really won't raise a lot of money if resources aren't allocated to make it a successful fundraiser. So Make that decision early on, and it's totally fine to sit out Giving Tuesday until you're ready to tackle it. Question number eight. I'm starting my own nonprofit organization and want to recruit board members. What tips do you have for recruiting a strong board? When you're just starting out, you really need a board that will help you with the day-to-day work of building this organization. They need to be willing to roll up their sleeves and do the work. So these types of board members tend to be just as passionate as you about the mission of the organization. Perhaps they are personally affected by the work you're doing. In fact, many organizations have been established because affected families came together and tried to work their way through their problem and once they figured it out, decided to share this information with others in their community. So if you have a network to, to tap into, that's a great place to start. If not, another opportunity to recruit is to host volunteer days. Volunteering side-by-side allows you to determine whether your potential board member is willing to get in there and to do the work with you. So let's say you're starting an organization that collects feminine hygiene products for women experiencing homelessness. Ask your community to host drives at their workplace to collect items and then recruit volunteers to help you sort through the items, put them into bins that you can then deliver to shelters in the area. Providing these types of opportunities allows potential board members to opt in to working with your organization and allows you to gauge their interest on taking on, you know, taking their volunteer involvement a bit further to potentially serve on your board. Community members who are already committed to volunteering make great board members. And once you have a cohort of board members, the next step would be to find members with specific skill sets. So they may not be able to help with the day-to-day, but they have a special skill set as a lawyer or as an accountant. So they have a special skill set that will help you establish your nonprofit organization. 
but you really do need help with just the day-to-day. -day. It's a lot of work for one person to do. Okay, on to our last question. I'm a young professional. What advice do you have for someone just starting out in their career? I love this question. It's such a pleasure to hear from young professionals who are planning their career in this sector. The number one piece of advice I can give you is to invest in yourself. Invest in training and coaching to figure out what you want to do and get better at it. Invest time into reading books and blogs and listen to podcasts and just soak it all up. Work experience is incredibly important, but at the same time, the field is changing. So what you learn in your job today may not be relevant in the next you know, five or 10 years. So getting as much knowledge from other sources through courses and coaching and you know, reading books and blogs and podcasts, all of that helps you keep your finger on the pulse of what's changing in the sector and helps you get creative with your problem solving. And that's the thing. We need to get creative to really figure out how we're going to solve the issues that our communities face. And the best way to do that is to just keep on learning. So there you have it. Our listener questions covered the gamut of topics, but that was so much fun to do. I hope you guys got a lot of value out of that. We'll be sure to have another listener question episode in the future. Before I sign off, though, if you're not on our email list, why not? You've got to join in. It's a free weekly email that gives you discounts, exclusive early access to products, and access to our private Facebook group where you can learn from Third Suite and your peers. Oh, and by the way, all of the questions in this episode were from our email subscribers, so that's a fun perk too. To sign up, just go to www.thirdsuite.com or head over to our Instagram, which is at thirdsuite, and click the link in our bio. Okay, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. I will talk to you same time, same place next week.